Hey everyone, welcome to the Fantasy Inn, where we share our love for all things fantasy and discuss the broader speculative fiction industry. I'm your host, Travis Tippins. This week, why are fairy tales so compelling? Is Malazan really the best fantasy series? And what do DuckTales, Marvel Comics, and a dragon the size of a country have in common? If you haven't guessed by now, today I had the honor of speaking with Benedict Patrick for our very first podcast interview. You might know him from his series of interconnected fairy tales called Yarn's World, but yesterday marked the launch of his new series. The Flight of the Dark Star Dragon begins with a magical airship crash-landing an impossible world with an impossibly huge dragon. It's a story of forging friendships, finding one's way home, and of course, impossible adventure. Benedict was an absolute delight to talk to. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Hi, Benedict, and welcome to the Fantasy Inn. We're so glad to have you. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me in. I just wanted to say I'm very honored to be here, and I've enjoyed what I've heard of the, the podcast so far. I'm uh, really excited that there's uh, something like that out there for the community. So thank you for that as well. Yeah, and we're excited to have you on as our very first podcast interview. Well, that's a bit of a thrill for me, to be honest, as well. Yeah, well, I guess uh, let's jump right into it, shall we? What is it that you find so compelling about fairy tales? Ooh, um, uh, that's a good place to start. I, um, um, there's so much. There's so much about them. I think uh, uh, specifically, uh, I, I like how how mutable they are. I like how how many different um versions there are of fairy tales out there. A, a really good example of this when I'm when I'm talking to people about it is is Little Red Riding Hood, uh, and I always actually start off by asking people, um. What for you when when you were told the story of Little Red Riding Hood as a child? Um, what what happened at the end of it? What happened to the wolf? So so I'll ask you that question actually. What what happened to the wolf in your childhood version of the tale? I'm pretty sure that Little Red Riding Hood was either able to trick or maybe kill the wolf, depending on uh what age I was when I read the story for the first time. Yeah. No. I. I Yes, and that's you know even that uh, experience uh, you know highlights uh, this. I, I distinctly remember in school uh, being being told that and being very confused because we had uh, a version from the teacher of uh, basically the, the the woodcutter came in and um, I think chopped the wolf's head off and rescued Granny from the cupboard. Uh, but in the version that I was told as a child by my my mother. Um, uh, I think it was just because of the book that she picked up, you know, the wolf ate the grandmother. I don't know if in your version did did the wolf eat the grandmother in Red Riding Hood? Is... Uh, I believe so. Yes. Yes, and then what happened is that the woodcutter instead of chopping the wolf's head off, opened up the wolf's stomach while it was sleeping, uh, let Red Riding Hood and grandmother sneak out, and then what they all did is they piled lots of stones inside the wolf's guts sewed him back up again and when he woke up in the morning he didn't realize what had happened uh, but he had such a belly ache and he ran down to the nearest stream to to drink some water to to you know help uh, alleviate the situation and because of all the weights in his stomach he, he fell in and drowned uh, and, and I couldn't understand as a child what was going on why why was everyone else um you know I, I'd never heard this version of the story and I can remember even the look of distress on the teacher's face as, as I was trying to to describe this to the rest <laughs> of the uh, the junior school but but ever since then I, you know I've been fascinated by that uh, just that the fact that that these are are um what we think of as really well known tales but because there's a there's a, a very large oral storytelling tradition um attached to them and um, there's so many different different versions of them and that's not even thinking about the the, the often sort of watered down uh, children's version that we get on on, on animated cartoons nowadays um i also like uh, i I like the magic that's attached to them as well um at the end of the day uh, in fairy tales they're they're often very unpredictable you 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 don't you don't always know you can't always predict what's going to happen because the rules the rules change um uh, and you can have mad situations popping up in fairy tales and, and people just seem to happily accept them um, even something as simple as as animals talking uh, it's not out of the question for characters to be walking down the forest they're lost and then you know a bird will tell them which way to go or um, you know a witch will curse somebody and we don't need to know it's almost there's there's the uh, um, there's an unwritten language in the fairy tales as well we don't need to know why somebody's done this we don't need to know their deep motivation um, if it's a witch you expect them to act badly if it's an animal mostly that'll help people um 
I, I just, there's, I just think there's, a, there's a lot going on, um, and that, and they, they definitely take on their own uh, language for us. Um, you know, they're, they're, they have these rules um, that they follow. So definitely, I, I just find it fascinating. Yeah, and a lot of fairy tales don't they have some sort of moral lesson or something baked in as well? Just some, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, I, I think a lot, actually, a lot of the the moral versions uh, of the tale uh, were have been adapted by people who have picked them up. Uh, I know that um, again, back to Red Riding Hood. Actually, uh, there are versions of Red Riding Hood where it basically ends as soon as um, she get, she gets eaten by the wolf. Uh, and then that's, and then that's it. So, and then they said, "So, and she gets eaten by the wolf. Don't talk to strangers, kids." And then that's it. <laughs> so, so there are, you know, um, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. There are um, morals to them, and obviously, I, 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 I stole a little bit of that um, as well when I um, started using them for my own writing. But sometimes you can, especially if you if you head back to the the earliest, uh, well, Grimm, um, the Brothers Grimm versions of the tales. And when I say earliest. Obviously, they're they're not the earliest version of the stories. That they, they, they can be the earliest written versions of the stories. Sometimes right, it is right. just basically a case of, and then the monsters caught them, and they were dead or cursed, or and that's it. That's, that's the end. Sometimes there's no moral. Sometimes it's just a that's the end of the story. Go to bed situation. So, uh. <laughs> well, other than Red Riding Hood, are there any particular fairy tales uh, that you'd like to share that maybe people aren't familiar with? Um. Well, my I mean, my my favourite is always Stone Soup. I, I think that's probably quite a well known one. Um, or I'm I'm not sure. I've actually never heard of that before, right. unless I know it by a different name. You you will know it uh, when when I tell you it, um, because it's been picked up by quite a few authors. I know Terry Pratchett has, has his own version of it as well, and it's um, it's a situation when. Uh, it's, it's it's one of these Eastern European uh, folk tales where where you know Europe Eastern Europe was, was just this one big forest and a lot of tales take on this idea of a traveler moving through the forest coming to a, a new village for the first time and and in this case um, the traveler was weary very hungry uh, but because uh, it was autumn time and um, the village um, was obviously wary of strangers coming into their midst he. He didn't find a very welcome reception there. Um, he you know, was knocking on his doors, looking for somewhere to stay, looking for food uh, more than anything because he was he was hungry at this time of year. It wasn't easy for him to forage in the forest. But he didn't give up when he realized that he wasn't going to get the reception that he wanted. So he he uh, stood in the middle of the, the village green and um, he called everyone's attention and he said to everyone, you know, this is one of the, the best villages I've, I've ever seen. I, I'd like to uh, to reward you all for uh, for what you've done here. Um, I have here in my possession a very rare cooking stone. And, uh, and he pulls out uh, a stone from his bag and, and holds it in front of himself. And, and everyone begins to gather round, wondering exactly what's going on here. And he says, it's, uh, I've got this cooking stone. What, what I will do with this cooking stone is I, I will... I'll, I'll cook it for you and it makes the most magnificent soup you've ever tasted in your entire life. And of course, that catches everyone's attention and, and they all want to see what's going on. Uh, one, because they can't understand how you can ever make a, a soup out of a stone. Uh, and also the idea of having the most wonderful soup they've ever tasted. Um, who, who's going to turn that down? So he he says, all I need now, all I need is if, if I could have just a, a massive cooking pot and if somebody could fetch us some water and light a fire for me, uh, I will be able to, to cook the cooking stone and, and we can all eat uh, from it tonight. So the village elders um, are curious to see what's going to happen. They, they order people around, getting the, the biggest pot there is in the village, set it up in the middle of the green, have a, a great fire cooking underneath. And the stranger uh, borrows a, a nearby ladle and um, heats the water, puts the stone in and gives it a stir. And by this point, everyone in the village has heard what's going on. They're all gathered round. Uh, and they're all waiting to to hear, um, or waiting to sample uh, stone soup that they've never had it before. Um, so so eventually, once the uh, pot's been able to simmer for a while, the stranger takes a sip from the ladle, tastes it, thinks for a wee bit, and he says, "It's it's this is this is amazing. I, I can't believe this. This is one of the best stone soups I've ever tasted. Do you know what would what would make it even better if if only if only somebody had some carrots? I, I don't suppose anybody here has." 
carrots we could we could add to this to make this even better uh, and there's an old lady in the back who's, who's got a store of carrots that she saved from harvest uh, earlier in the year uh, and, and everyone else um, uh, orders or uh, encourages her to bring them they chop them all up and they throw them into the pots and the stranger takes another sip and, and he thinks oh that that's exactly what it needed fantastic do you know what would go really well with this um, if we had some potatoes if, if somebody could bring some potatoes that we could uh, add to the stone soup just to, to make it even better for everyone here in the village um, and and, and you can see with the situations going here and, and the stranger continues to take sips, makes other suggestions for what to add to the pot and the villagers uh, open up their stores to him and they bring them in very excited to hear what's happening. Even the, even the head of the village uh, manages to, to supply uh, a little salt um, from her cellar um, and eventually uh, the stranger takes one sip and, and he stands up with a smug expression on his face and he says, this is it, this is perfect stone soup i've never tasted stone soup like this before uh, gather around everybody uh, and, and, and taste what we've made and of course everybody lines up um he spoons out the uh stone soup to them all and he gets the biggest bowl for himself and they're all sitting there uh, enjoying their meal in the village he pockets uh, the stone uh in, into his bag again uh, and he spends the rest of the winter there uh, in the village um, and it's a weekly occurrence for him to make the stone soup uh, for the people, the most welcoming village in the forest. That is, that's the end of the story, the stone soup story. Um, oh, wow. So. I, you know, I really like the kind of trickster element, I guess, to Absolutely. that, which I think is a recurring element in a lot of fairy tales. Yes, yes, absolutely. I, I like as well, um, there's no maliciousness in it, which is quite nice too. Um, which, which, uh, and you, you don't always get that. Um, um, but I, I do like the fact that, uh, yes, there's just this, this, this nice situation at the end where everyone ends up being happy. And, and it's only um, him that has the realisation that you know, he's, he's got the better of them. So. Yeah, well, I guess moving on from fairy tales to more about you, uh, what exactly started you on the path to becoming a writer? How did you decide you wanted to be Benedict Patrick, the author? <laughs> um, that, was a, that was a long and bumpy road. Um, I, I Reading came first. I, I've always had a, a, a deep passion for reading and uh as a child, would often get confused of missing out on family holidays because uh, my, my nose had always been in a book in, instead of actually looking at the surroundings as we were driving past the beautiful beaches or, or, or the forests. Um, it was at high school, uh, I eventually, I, I think what drew me to storytelling first was when I realised or, or people started telling me that I had a, had a talent for it. And um, I think as a, as, as a young man, it's always something that's going to, to catch your interest. Um, I dipped in and out uh, of of writing um, sort of throughout my my teenage years. Um, it seemed like hard work. It is hard work. I think I was obviously uh, uh, very astute, but um, I, and I think that um, put me off. But I always liked the idea of being a writer, uh, if that makes sense. I, it was one of these. Um, it was one of these things I'd always said to myself: Look, God, someday, someday I'll be a writer. I'm not writing now because. It, it's a lot of work and I don't have time, but someday this will happen. Uh, and it was um, maybe about just just sh- slightly shy of a decade uh, ago where, where I did start to realize this this isn't this isn't actually going to happen, is it? It's not going. You know, uh, this 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 little dream that I've got that um, um, you know someday this will happen. You know, it's not actually going to happen unless I make it happen, is it? And, and I think it was actually Philip Pullman. I realize uh, he's got a lovely quote where he talks about forcing out a thousand words a day. Um, and I think a lot of other writers do talk about, you know, you have to write, you have to write to be a writer. And it was just a slow realization that um, I was going to reach the stage where I was going to either have to put this away and just never, never think about it again or, or man up and actually, um, you know, you know, put my heart and soul into it. Um, spent a lot of time throwing ideas around on the page. I did, I had a, a trip to New Zealand um, in my early 20s and, and that was just a sort of a feverish experience of, of, of constantly reading on the bus. My mum wasn't there to tell me off, but she would have been horrified uh, to see how many <laughs> um, sites that I missed. 
uh, and writing uh, um, in, in the evenings, just throwing ideas down on, on, on books. Um, I know you, you had asked at one point uh, if I had any trunk novels. I do. Um, I don't think I've ever mentioned um, this before, actually. But I do have. I, I In my wisdom, I, I, I didn't go for trunk novels. I have, I've, I've, I have a quartet of trunk novellas. I had this wonderful idea of... Um, uh, four stories set throughout um, different uh, periods in history, but they were all linked to tracking this unicorn's journey from, uh, it was a bit from early human civilization all the way up to modern day. Uh, and I, I think just before I started writing, they mostly came out at night. I was convinced this was it. This was my, um, this was exactly what I was going to be known for. I was going to get these out. I actually painted a cover. I can't, believe i'm admitting this uh oh wow uh, actually i actually painted a cover because i thought oh i I can do this this will be fine i I don't need to uh um i I burnt that by the way i I did burn i was gonna say i don't suppose you still have that no no again in my um my my ego uh warned me i I did realize if if this does happen if you do actually become a a name that people are interested in this is what's going to pop up when you die um you know so, someone's gonna <laughs> someone's going to, to find this and scan it so so my uh, in my arrogance i got rid of that uh, so that would never happen uh, but I, I i thank goodness uh even before i i even offered the stories to anyone else i i did take a step back at one point and realize this is this is not it this is it was a nice idea you know this was good practice but there's no way uh, anybody should ever read uh, these stories so um so that's that brought me to um, the amalgamation of ideas that was going on in my head that, that eventually led to uh, they mostly come out at night. So, and I know I think you've said because uh, one thing in your yarns world stories uh, they're all set all over the world, and the main thing that unifies them so far, at least, is the Nax magic system. So mm-hmm. was it around this time that that sort of idea started knocking around in your head, or was that later? Um, um, I, I've always liked the idea of um a, a very low key, um, magic system. Uh, and I, I don't like I don't really like the phrase magic system, but just just to explain it, um, I know it was. I, I'm I'm trying to find that there's a passage that I know uh, inspired that. Um, it isn't um the name of the wind. I did almost fall off my chair. Um. A few years ago, when I when I listened to uh, the audio version of the Name of the Wind, after because I I did read it when when it came out, and I don't know if, if if you recall this actually, but there are characters in the Name of the Wind who have knacks, magical knacks as well. Uh, I think it was nearly sick. I, I don't before. remember that. Huh. No, no, I was nearly sick when I when I when I heard that uh, again. But it, it it's totally different. <laughs> well, not totally different to be honest, but it is quite different to um to to what I do with it. But I know that mine actually came from. Well, I I had, I've convinced myself that one of the, the lines that inspired me for this was somewhere in uh, the Wizard of Earthsea by Ursula Le Guin, um, because um, I am I've convinced myself there is a passage somewhere about a shepherdess calling up a wind to uh, move away a rain cloud from her when she was tending her flock. Uh, and this is an unnamed character uh, just on the Isle of Gaunt that that uh, Ged can, comes from. Uh, but I just love the idea of that. I love the idea that there's this place where, where there, you know, a shepherd girl could have a little bit of magic that just um, suited her needs exactly and that was it that was that was, that was all that she could do and i, I just i, I like that idea and um when i was writing mostly um the, i mean the knacks in particular came around because of the the character lunan in that story um i wanted to have something that uh, everyone else in the world to have something that he didn't um because a lot of um they mostly come out at night was fueled by this idea of finding yourself um, and I wanted to have a character who was in this situation where it looked like it was a lot easier for everyone else to find themselves um, because they, they in some ways, had a, a bit of guidance, um, but, but he didn't. So, so that's, where, that's where that came from. And then a lot of the, the um, rest of the Orange World stories you know, take a leaf from that book and a lot of the characters, the main characters in particular, tend to have a very special relationship with their knacks. Um, you know, in Lolan's case, he doesn't have any Kaimana um she believes that she's defined by hers and and um 
Arturo in um, the City of Swords. You know, he you know he's proud of his. He, you know, he wants to live up to his well, what he feels is his neck. Um, so, so I wanted something with that. Uh, the word spoke to a lot of the, the main characters and and their journeys they were going to take uh, in the stories. Right, and now that we've actually started diving a little bit into your Yarns World stories, um, so what actually what was the final push that made you decide? You know what? I'm going to self-publish these Yarns World stories that have been knocking around in my head for a while now. <laughs> um, I, so I, um, I think I have mentioned this before. I, I, I actually I took a course, uh, or I took a, I've got a master's degree in publishing. Um, I, I, after finishing, uh, and a lot of this informs my writing as well, after finishing um, studying um, literature at, at university, I, I uh, it was fairly aimless, a wee bit like Lonan, uh, and I wasn't too sure what I, w- I wanted to do with my life. Uh, and I ended up taking out a master's degree in publishing, and that uh, that really killed the writing experience for me for a very long time. <laughs> oh, no. Um, because I, I realised, well, I had to convince myself um, because of those studies that um, the, the act of, of getting published was, was a, a close impossibility. Uh, and also I had to convince myself that um, it was a lot more linked to money than it was to art. Uh, and, and unfortunately, I, I had a terrible attitude with that. Made me decide that maybe writing uh, mightn't be what I was interested in, in pursuing. So uh, it was actually the discovery of um, self-publishing, of independent publishing, that kicked off uh, part of the writing bug for me again, because that you know, the, this idea of the power that that gave me you know the control that that gave me over my own work was almost inspiring in itself so uh, in some ways it wasn't they mostly come out at night or the yarns world stories and uh, me wanting to get them out in the world it was it was discovering this this um control i could have again kicked off that writing bug that has been dipping in and out of my life uh, up to that point so um and i've never i've never considered otherwise um so far anyway for for the stories, I just I like the fact that it's it's up to me, and even when, even if the stories don't grab people's attention, or certainly my attitude at the time was, even if the stories don't grab people's attention straight away, you know, I can work at it and develop it. Um, um, you know, with, without a, a big time issue or without having to worry what the debut is like or, or anything like that. So, so yes, that was that was certainly the idea. Just being able to control that was was a big part of what uh, convinced me that sitting down to write every night wasn't going to be a waste of my time. Right. And one thing that I think is really interesting and fairly unique uh, is that you're writing almost a series of standalones. So just about, you're kind of a broad entry point to your work. Everything you've written so far in Yarns World, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, serves as a potential entry point for new readers, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a terrible idea, by the way. If anyone is, uh, any any writers are, are listening to this, especially if you're you're planning on, on publishing your work ind- independently, it, it's not a great idea. It's it's not it's not financially sound. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, it's definitely the, the stories that I um, enjoy writing. So that's 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 why I do it. Um, even now, even though I'm I'm starting to write stories that are are in some ways continuations of journeys begun and, and previous books, I'm still trying to make sure that this, as you say, could be the first book that somebody picks up and and they won't have missed out from um, from the previous the previous works. Um, I don't think I'll always do that. I, I know that the like a story that I've just published, the the, the Dark Star Dragon. Um, is going to be a bit more serialized, um, but I, yeah, I think there's, there's maybe I, I think probably because uh, harken back to the, um, the the my my thinking that traditional publishing is maybe more financially orientated. I think because um, there is a suggestion out there that standalones are not a great idea. I don't think we get uh, enough of them sometimes uh, in the fantasy um, community in particular. So. Oh, I, I agree. There's so many 10-book uh, series or more. Uh, <laughs> yes. It's kind of daunting sometimes. Yes. As a reader, absolutely. I, I mean, I have um, I've not touched, uh, to my shame, uh, I've not touched uh, any of Robert Jordan's books yet. Uh, and I don't know if I ever will because I just don't think I could cope with um, uh, the idea of having to 
stare at this bookcase full of full of all these massive tools. <laughs> How much of my life am I going to dedicate to, to getting through this? Uh, so far, I think I've dedicated about three years of my life to Wheel of Time, and <laughs> I'm exactly three books into the series, so it go. might take me a while. That's okay. There's a TV show coming. That'll, that'll be fine. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, well, I guess so So far you have uh, three different settings in Yarn's world. Uh, Could mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about the inspiration for each one of those? Um, yes, yeah. Um, so they mostly come out at night, and um, from the shadows of the Isle Queen's courts, um, they tie back into this uh, European great forest, the, you know, the Black Forest idea, and, and certainly that's that's where a lot of, um, you know, as somebody living in Europe, that's that's where a lot of my original experience of um, fairy tales and folk tales began, and um, I just think I think there is something compelling about. Um, that setting, that this idea of this this dark place where um, you know stories lurk behind any any corner. So definitely the um, the Magpie King's forest is very much this idea of this this, this old forest um, where stories are hiding uh, amongst the trees. Um, then it gets a bit weird. Uh, well, then I uh, then I don't know if weird is the right is the right word. Well, I've heard you describe it as Black Panther and the village combined. So that definitely sounds a little weird. Yeah, I I um definitely the when when mostly uh, came together eventually in my head, it was actually uh, an amalgamation of different tales that that I had going on. Um, um, there, I think I mentioned this in the back of they mostly come out at night. I had this. In my head at the time, I thought it was a wonderful story. I'm fairly certain I was going to call it a tinker's tale, and I just like I just li- I like the idea about having a a young boy moving around this dark forest, um, with having to avoid the wolves in the forest because, of course, Red Riding Hood and the three little pigs and you know wolves obviously uh, in a forest setting are often um, are they an antagonist in, in in forest settings. And, and meanwhile, I have this. Um, also had this idea of the this, um, uh, this regal story of of warring um, nobility and um, uh, when I was in my panic when these trunk novels that I mentioned earlier when I realised that they weren't going to cut it um, uh, you know I did eventually realise well these these stories they, they work they work it actually works if I if I smush them together let them congeal for a little while and actually um, you know this 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 could be combined uh, in a really interesting way so. Um, of course, then I threw that out the window and um, moved on to uh, that other uh, setting that always pops up when you think about folk tales, uh, which is uh, tropical islands. Um, so, <laughs> and, and that harkens back again, actually, to the, 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 the summer that I spent in New Zealand um, that, that I mentioned earlier. And in fact, the story for uh, Where the Waters Turns Black is actually the, the, the one that I've had in my head for the longest. Um, and um, that was spurred on by two things. Firstly, when I when I was writing mostly at the time, I, I generally just thought that this was a one off story and it was just going to sit on its own. Um, and then this image in the back of my head, and at the time it was of a young girl, um, and and in the water behind her, just just this massive looming shadow, this 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 ominous shadow of this this big beast. Uh, but actually, the idea that once you get into the relationship between them. This big monster wasn't uh, something to be afraid of. This was this was her best friend, and, and that had been in my head ever since I had visited New Zealand and spent a lot of time um, exploring um, the different cultures down there. And it just just seemed to, to fit. Uh, and when I was writing, they mostly come out at night. Was when Disney um, announced that they were making um, Moana. <laughs> and I, re- I realized if I didn't write my story before uh, before Disney got theirs out into the world, I would never be 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 allowed to basically. So um, that was my that was my goal was to was to make sure that mine got out there first, so I could uh, uh, I would never be accused. So I'd so I'd write it basically. I knew that she would never be taken seriously if she was brought out in a world where where Disney had told their Polynesian tale. So that certainly led to the big. Uh, twist that that happened with the the yarn world stories um uh, and the fact that they're spread out all over the place and then i just embraced that and um i was thinking about this because i knew you were going to ask this question about where um those brave foolish souls from the city of swords came from um and it just i think it's just caught my interest i mean i've always been 
Um, I've always liked this idea of the, the, the Zoro style sword fighters. And I've, I've always been very intrigued by um, Central American um, you know, luchador um, culture. Uh, I, I, I struggled to understand it for a very long time um, because I'm just so other to what um, I was used to experiencing. Um, but the more I, I looked into it and, and um, you know, was eventually was able to embrace this idea of these colorful personalities and um, you know, defining themselves by their, their bands and the gangs that, that the luchadors are in and, and, and that all combined together into um, you know, the story that, that took shape in the, the City of Swords as well. And then, so I think before you've mentioned in another interview, uh, you've considered writing a proper epic fantasy trilogy somewhere in the Yarns world oh, universe? Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, that one's definitely on the cards. I'm not too certain. I'm not too certain if it will be the next Yarns world book I write after. At the moment, I'm I'm working on um, returning to the, the Crescent Atoll. So the, the current book is called To Dream and Die as a Tanawa Girl. So that's, that's a follow-up to uh, Where the Waters Turn Black. I had considered returning to the city of swords and i do i've got half a tail um for that one but um actually this 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 yarns world um epic fantasy is, is vying for position at the moment so so i'm i'm, I'm uncertain what i'm going to do in, in the yarns world uh, after this one and it's it will it will be in a a, a new setting but i'll I'm not really going to talk too much about that one yet, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah we don't want to spoil too much and keep it keep it secret. Um, well, in general, so other than the knacks, a common theme in Yarn's world is the power of stories, uh, and that kind of unites all of them together. Uh, so I guess, why do you think we as humans find stories so meaningful? Oh, um, okay, I'll just speak for the, the whole human race here uh, for a wee second. No. <laughs> or why do you find stories so meaningful? Um, I, you know, I, um, I think there's a lot for us to find in stories. I, I, I'm, and I think it's different for different people. And I think it's different depending on where your head is uh, at the time. Um, obviously, there's just the basic entertainment uh, idea. There's, there's this... Um, there's this what if aspect, isn't there? There's this, you know, what if this happens? Um, or, or even, uh, you know, the, finding out someone's life story. Or, you know, a lot of the time we're thinking, what if this happened to me? Or, or, or um, it's just this idea of, of, of discovering where, where, where someone has managed to get to. I think there's also a lot of finding ourselves in stories as well. Um, uh, I think that's why a lot of readers uh, in particular gravitate towards characters. And a lot of the time when you when you talk to people about what did you enjoy about that story, it's the characters that people often end up talking about. Um, and I think a lot of that is finding yourself in characters, which can be a little bit scary um, when you consider some of the characters that you might end up reading. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> but but I, think, I think that's true. I think if we're really honest with ourselves, I think, um, although... Uh, a lot of us like to think of ourselves as as um, fantastic human beings, and I'm sure we all are. Of course, um, uh, you know, I think I, I think it would be uh, madness to deny that there's a capacity for um, us to behave or even think in ways that maybe we we never actually would. But it's quite interesting to explore that through the medium of watching another character do some awful. Uh, some awful things uh, I think that's why uh, flawed characters work really well for us um, I when I was thinking about this um, I, I kept going back to um, Senlin Ascends uh, Josiah Bancroft's book um, and um, if you've read the story I, I, I know you, you have Travis but if people listening to this have read the story Senlin is not a classic hero um, especially uh, at the beginning of it but I actually think that's what makes him work uh, because if if we're honest, I think Senlin is probably more like a the regular person, uh, how the, a regular person would um, uh, behave and uh, put into the situation that he he's put into. I mean, his his prejudices are are very much there on his sleeve. You know, it's very clear what his prejudices are and, and um, how that informs his awful decisions and his, his awful thoughts. Um, but I actually think that that's quite realistic, and and uh, I think that's one of the reasons why he does. Uh, a lot of people do latch on to him, uh, in in that story. 
Um, well, and as readers, I, I know I definitely latched onto him when all he wants to do is to get home and find a good book to curl up by the fire with, maybe drink a cup of tea. He doesn't really want to be going on these grand adventures. Exactly. It's Bill, Bill Baggins as well. I, I know that comparison. Yeah, exactly. Before, but that, that's, that, that's what would happen, isn't it? That, that, there, that, that's how real people cope with it. I think actually in, in Senlin's case and uh, I think in, in Bilbo's case as well, they move away. Um, oh, um, slight spoiler warning if you've not read The Hobbit or uh, <laughs> or, or Josiah's stories. But, uh, you know, I think uh, it's quite interesting to see these here, these these regular people grow more into the hero mold. Uh, certainly where we are, Senlin hasn't quite got there yet, but he's grown a lot um but i think there's a lot of wish fulfillment in that as well because we'd like to think that eventually we'd be able to deal with these situations once we got over the, the initial shock um i do also believe though that um stories are very much and how you engage with the story is very much based not only on on your personal interests but also just where your head is at that time i remember uh, reading um stephen erickson's the gardens of the moon uh, for the first time i had been working in, in a bookstore and my manager had said this is my favorite book this is my favorite book ever you you must read this book uh, and i picked it up uh, and i read it and I, I mean i bounced off that book hard i i, I struggled i read the whole thing uh, i i really struggled to make sense of what i had read i i did not enjoy it this it was not working for me uh, at all um and i i just casually you know mentioned to him that yeah that was that was that was the story, and and that was it. Uh, and, but then a few years later, I had heard so much about it, and so many other people encouraging me to, to have a go, and I picked up again. I thought, this is, you know, I, I don't know why I'm doing this. This is not going to work. And it was the best story I had ever read. And and I, and I was I, I, I was almost I almost had whiplash that weekend because I, I you know I tore through it. I couldn't remember any of the stuff happening, and I, you know I I sat back afterwards and just before I ran out to grab the next volume, I, you know I was thinking what. What was what has just happened? How how so you I are a Malazan convert? <laughs> well, yes, I I I I eventually bounced off the series again. Um, when when we uh, uh when we uh, switched settings and characters so many times, I I and I think what happened, I I, I was involved. I, I had this massive fever storm of picking them all up and devouring. And, and when I get to that stage with stories, sometimes they can all blend in together. Um, a lot of Terry Pratchett's books, I, I kind of struggle to separate them from each other uh, for the same reason but uh, eventually with Malasan I, I put it aside and I, I'm ashamed to admit I've never actually um, gone back to it I do want to because I really did enjoy it up to the point where, where I didn't uh, and I'm convinced that I will have that same fantastic experience when I when I pick it all up again but uh, I'd like to read it again from the start and that's uh, much like the Wheel of Time that is a big ask uh, especially uh, with my uh, current um with my current life so someday but uh, but but for me that experience uh, really opened my eyes to this idea of uh, prior to that um i much much like senlin i had it in my idea that if i like it it's good and if i don't like it then it's bad and people who do like the bad stuff they're wrong um and and eventually i realized well no, clearly clearly that's incorrect because i was wrong earlier you know i didn't enjoy it earlier and i do i do enjoy garden of the moon now um you know it's it's me it's me that's um informing a lot of that it's not the quality of the book it's it's also where my head is and am i am i the right person for this book and am i the right person now for this book um so i do think um there's there's many elements of that that, that we struggle to um to, to deal with as well yeah i agree completely books are such personal things it's really hard to say you know, what is objectively a great story and what is just a story that works for you. And I, yes. like you said, I have tons of stories that are on my someday, eventually I will get around to trying them again, uh, but I have no idea when that is. Um, and I guess uh, uh, we should probably definitely mention uh, the story that as the time this releases, uh, I think you will have just published the day before. Uh, so The Flight of the Dark Star Dragon is your newest story. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about the origins of how that came about? The Kings of the Wild. It's all um, Nicholas Ems's fault um, because I uh, I fell in love uh, with his book um, uh, and I fell in love with uh, how his book made me feel. Um, 
I um, so I, I listened to Kings of the Wild on audio, and um, I embarrassed myself uh, many times in public, uh, which was a new, which <laughs> well, actually was not a new experience to me at all. But it was a new experience because of the fact that I was listening to his book uh, in public. Um, because I just first, I actually almost crashed my car the first time when I first started uh, listening to it. Because uh, oh no, just, yeah, well, I, I didn't. So that, that, that's good. But just the uh, unexpected uh, peals of laughter uh, um, that, that came from me just from from um, reading his stories. And again, I, I distinctly remember in the supermarket picking up frozen peas and just exploding and having to move away quickly so that people weren't looking at this weirdo um, snickering away uh, in the frozen food aisle. Um, but uh, just the sense of joy that I had afterwards. Um, I, you know, I wanted to create something that had this sense of fun that he managed to capture. It's not it's not Kings of the Wild, by the way. I wouldn't want you to bounce hard off the flight of the Dark Star Dragon. Um, it's definitely more that sense of fun that, that I was trying to capture. And I wanted, I, uh, I think at one point I'd convinced myself that the orange world was somewhere I could tell. I could tell any story in this setting. And then eventually I realized, you know what? I don't think it's going to work. I think, you know, people, people have grown to expect um, the orange world stories to for the most part to be a wee bit darker and and I don't think I was at the stage comfortable in thinking that uh, and writing something with that big tonal shift um but also just this idea of creating this new mad world where characters can go on wild adventures that hopefully as a reader people won't have experienced before and, and where I could really throw a lot of the rule book out the window and, and that's definitely where the, the flight of the dark star dragon came from I just wanted somewhere where I could do something wild and fun and and, and go crazy um I, I've mentioned um a few times talking about uh, Stanley and Jack Kirby's original run on the Fantastic Four uh, in the comics and actually if you if you look at what happened in there run on that story it informed so much of the Marvel universe that exists today. I mean, they'll, they'll tell one little tale and they're saying, oh yeah, and by the way, here's this hidden kingdom where this guy dressed up as a Black Panther is ruler. Yeah, and he's great. And obviously that has, there's so much depth in that, like one little throwaway story that it's spun off into, to, uh, you know, its own massive franchise. You know, they'll, they'll be saying, yeah, this guy, he's made of silver and he surfs through the cosmos. Okay, on to the next story. And, and it was just this... Um, pregnant sort of microcosm of fantastic ideas uh, you know just this rich um unit i don't know if they were deliberately doing it at the time but it just felt like this rich universe building experience where, where all of these uh, you know the, the, there weren't a lot of one-off stories that were forgettable i mean they, they did exist but there was just so much richness richness in there as well and i wanted somewhere where i could do that where i could um just throw out these mad ideas that that, that hopefully would stick with people uh, but then move on to, to get to the, the next adventure. And DuckTales, I've talked a lot about, um, uh, it seems mad to be talking about this um, when, when discussing uh, you know, fantasy novels, but uh, I, I, I was just this, this Saturday morning cartoon idea of the fact that um, uh, when you think about uh, DuckTales or, or any of those those um, uh, cartoons, they, 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 the world building that went on to, to create what they were able to do uh, with something like that was fantastic because you could have a heist story one week and then the next story, um, you know, they could be traveling in time or, or flying up into space. And, you know, I, I wanted something with that kind of uh, versatility where, where uh, I could have these characters that are a bit larger than life. You could make it fit into to any kind of, kind, of, kind of story, but the setting was so important for that. So that's, I just wanted something in the, the dark star dragon where i could um you know have, the, have this idea of, of it felt like anything could happen so that was that was like the kind of world uh, i was trying to create there well the setting you accomplished in the dark star dragon definitely stands out to me and i think you used the word universe building and that's what it really feels like because you know you're not just building a single world you're sort of building a multiverse here yeah, I, I'm. I'm not. I, I. I should say thank. Thank you. That's that's nice. That's nice that to hear that, that I've achieved that. I've. I've zero plans to do spin-offs or or anything like that at the moment. The um, it's very much. I just want to focus on, um, you know, the, the characters that we have there, um, and 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 their journey. But I did want it to feel like that. I wanted to to feel like um, there's a lot going on, um, I mean there is a lot 
going on in my head, but 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 for for the reader, um, you know, I did want to to feel that it wasn't just throwaway. So, um, and who knows? Who knows in the future? Yeah, well, you you have the possibility there. You've planted the seeds, and I guess if you want to return or explore new stories, you have that option available. Yeah, yeah. Right. We'll see what happens. I'll, I'll keep you posted. Yeah, and uh, so I definitely noticed uh, something in Dark Star was your side characters felt like some of your most vivid yet. Uh, so did you approach designing your characters uh, any differently in these than you have in your previous stories? Hmm. How, how am I going to put this? Character is something that I uh, I work hard at, uh, and I think it's because I have to. Uh, there's certain elements to my writing, like. I, I feel come naturally to me uh, and I think character is something where I really I'm trying to push myself um, so I certainly did go out of my way um, with these guys I, I, I wanted to and again it's this, this idea of, of, of universe building um, or wanting it to feel like universe building I wanted the, a lot of the side characters to feel that they could be the main characters uh, of their own stories uh, again, I don't have plans in particular to go down that route, but I wanted it to feel like it could happen. So I certainly uh, would say I put probably the same amount of work in developing um, certainly the five main characters that have, have popped up in the, the character arts, well, that will have popped up in the character arts um reveals um by the time that, that, that this podcast goes out. I definitely did. Maybe not all of that made it to the page, um, saving a little bit uh uh, for future books, but um, I certainly uh, did spend a lot more time uh, on that, um, and, and hopefully that did come across uh, in the writing. Right, and so another thing I can't not mention is your covers are always beautiful, but the oh, Dark Star they, cover they? in particular is just incredible. Yes, um, yeah, I I am absolutely gifted uh, by working uh, uh, with. Jenny at uh, Ceilings uh, Designs, uh, she is fantastic and she definitely um, uh, elevated herself. I, uh, I, I think I, I probably say this every time she produces uh, a cover in general, actually. I think all her work is fantastic. Uh, I, I do think, I, I mean, I'm in love with her, her Yarns World work, but um, I know Jenny had been doing a lot of work uh, on her, il- her illustration skills uh, recently. Um, she'd been wanting to develop that, that side of her talents. And um, I had found out about this, and and I, and I had very cheekily said to her, "I want, I want to be the first. It's me, please." Um, so actually, the story has been ready for a wee bit longer. Um, I normally don't sit on a story that long, but I was sitting around waiting for for Jenny to be comfortable to 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 have a go at this, and and I, it was definitely well worth the wait. I mean, I I think her work's amazing anyway, but the Dark Star Dragon cover is is absolutely beautiful. Um, so yes, she's amazing, and I hope I'm going to be able to continue to work with her, and that nobody steals her away from me. <laughs> um, <laughs> although I can't understand why she's not been. Uh, um, well, she is in incredible demand at the moment, as she she well deserves to be. Um, uh, but yes, I'm absolutely blessed to to get to work with her. Yeah, and. So not only is your art amazing uh, from Jenny, but you also find creative ways to take advantage of that art. Uh, so I know last year you had a cover reveal where you sent out little snippets of the cover to a bunch of different blogs, and then you had the final reveal at the end. And I think this year you're planning on doing individual character portraits. Can you talk a little bit about how you uh, creatively use art? Um, so I, I think this is um, going to pop back to my my ego again, which uh, has popped up a few times ahead in this interview, which is a wee bit worrying. Um, I, I I wanted uh, certainly with the from the shadows of the Elder Queen's Court last year. Um, you know, I want you know I as you might imagine, uh, I get quite excited uh, when a new book uh, is about to be released, um, uh, and of course that's going to be the case for me because I've been working for for um, the best part of a year on these stories but I wanted to try to share or encourage that kind of excitement in other people and and, and uh, as a reader you know I, I do like it when my uh, favorite writers have stories come out but at the end of the day you know I've got a lot of favorite writers and they're always bringing out stories so it's 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 not uh, it's a great experience when that happens but I wanted to maybe 
turn the lumps of these stories into or just to add a little bit more excitement uh, to them for, for other people just to, to, to having this teasing effect and it's not um it's not something that I've come up with uh, by myself. You know, other people have done it. Again, actually, uh, the, the comic industry in particular um, has been very good at this, about these slow teases and, and these reveals to, to build up excitement. And, and especially with, with Jenny's covers in particular, why would you not do that? Um, oh, I, I think that's, that would be a wasted opportunity to not use the idea of a new um, cover from Seedlings Designs. You know, it's, we're going to get to see it, but not just yet. Uh, and and um, uh, it's also a great way to get the community involved. Um, uh, the, the blogging community has been uh, fantastically supportive uh, of me in, in a few years that, um, you know, I, I've been out here. And, and I guess in some ways there's also a little bit of the p- potential to, to give back to that as well and, and, and to get everyone Involved. I don't know how how successful it's been. I I enjoy it. I, again, I think uh, this sort of idea of ego stroking. You know, it's quite nice to you know have this to look forward to in the in the lead up to you know as we record this. Um, actually later on today, uh, the first of the these character portraits of the Dark Star Dragon crew are going to be revealed. So it's it's quite exciting uh, for me. I don't know uh, how how meaningful it will be uh, to um, my readers uh, at the moment, but it's, it is just this idea of trying to capture that excitement and, and make it a bit more more meaningful for people um but yes why would you not why would you not do this i'm, I'm surprised that we don't see more of it and, and hopefully if it starts to have an impact hopefully we will see more people doing this um, yeah it's just one of those ideas where you think well of course like this makes so much sense this is what you should be doing but it doesn't seem like a lot of people are doing that yeah. I think I think it would it would help significantly if i could prove that it was also effective so i'm working on that give me a decade or so, and I will convert <laughs> everyone. So. <laughs> so another thing that I really loved about uh, the Flight of the Dark Star Dragon is uh, the game of Eshek. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Is it Eshek? Okay. Well, uh, just... I'm, I'm not sure either because it's the first time I've heard it uh, read out loud. So yes, let's go for that. That is a okay. Uh, that's, that is my canon. That is my uh, but uh, unique in-world fantasy games are kind of my kryptonite. I love it whenever they pop up in a series, uh, and so I definitely took note of Eshak. So I guess what inspired that? Uh, do you have a love of games and books as well, or where are you going with that? Uh, I, I love I love games. I love board games, and uh, I I knew early on that Jeddah, who who is the character, who who is the the big Eshak player in the Flight of the Dark Star Dragon. Uh, I knew that she was going to have an obsession, so I, I thought I'd give her my obsession. Um, so uh, that's where that's where Esha came, and then obviously um, knowing uh, the kind of setting that she was going to find herself in, I wanted to come up with something that would link in to this sort of multi-dimensional setting. So, but it definitely is. I, I mean, I. I I love board games, board games and stories. Um, I like the idea of them. Uh, my my problem is I try to play them. <laughs> a lot a lot of um a lot of writers and uh, it comes from from films more actually do get their work translated, uh into uh, into board games and it doesn't always work. I, I think there's a lot of artistry, uh involved in making a good game in the first place. Um, I think the idea of trying to adapt a game that sounds good on paper into a, a game that actually plays well in real life is uh, a very difficult challenge to put on a designer's shoulders. I I think the best examples of that are games that uh, really are just spins on on real world existing games. Uh, Thud, I don't know if you've played Thud from the Discworld. Um, Uh, I have not. um, So I've got this gorgeous uh, Thud set upstairs that's hardly been used, uh, but it is certainly based off of that Viking game, the name of which I have just forgotten which is very embarrassing uh but and it plays uh, beautifully because it um you know it was based on a rune set it was tweaks tweaks on a rune set that, that already existed so and i think that's what worked best would would Eshak work as a real game if we were able to travel dimensions i don't know i don't know i, I certainly <laughs> have runes for it but i don't know how in depth you really have to take a big spin into lit rpg i think to uh uh, to, to put that down on paper uh, in the stories yeah. i might try it <laughs> we'll, see. well there you go you heard it here first the next up lit rpg that's right there we go <laughs> <laughs> uh 
Well, uh, I know, I, I definitely knew that you were interested in board games. I think I've seen uh, your Sunday Twitter threads about that. You all have like a <laughs> weekly board game night? Yes, yeah. I, I have stopped actually tweeting them because um, I, I, I kind of felt that I think it's very niche. Um, yes, no, I'm very lucky to have a local crew of, of miscreants that I'm happy enough to roll dice and scream at each other uh, over a table um, most Sundays. So um, I definitely am very lucky to have that because I know that um, having a wee group like that is, is quite rare. And I think most people who do enjoy games uh, tend to collect games a lot, but not actually get a lot of opportunities to play them. Um, it can be difficult to organize uh, like-minded people so definitely yeah very, i uh, uh i'm feeling called out right now i'm staring at a stack of probably about 50 different board games some of them are still wrapped <laughs> oh nice i we have cupboards uh dedicated we, we recently got a, a, a bit of work done uh, in our home um and, and a lot of that revolved around making sure we have correct board game storage which is not sufficient for our needs but um uh, at least we now have somewhere to to proudly display a few of them uh, and so I guess at what point did you discover uh, different kind of games? So role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons. I came very late to Dungeons & Dragons, but it wasn't my first uh, role-playing experience. I did play I had a, a group of friends at high school. Um, I don't know if you recall the fighting fantasy novels. I do not. Ooh, they, they are a bit of a spin on the choose-your-own-adventure story. Okay. So the choose-your-own-adventure choose your is the whole idea of if you want to go left, turn to page two. If you want to go to right, turn to page three. But the, the fighting fantasy stories had that, but they also had uh, fighting elements as well. So they had uh, very basic rules for what to do when you f- faced a monster. It was a dice rolling game. And you know, if you succeeded, you got to continue. If you died, you lied and pretended that you did fight the monster and you continue anyway um <laughs> but they uh they were all the rage certainly in britain um when i was young and they brought out their own uh, advanced fighting fantasy role-playing games so my my friends and i sporadically would play adventures in that and we certainly had a lot of fun a few of us had uh, got a hold of some games workshop miniatures and uh, because we were kids and we had loads of time um you know, that we could come up with these elaborate set pieces. One of my one of my favorite um, memories of that was a time when I spent uh, a weekend gluing together cereal boxes into uh, buildings, and uh, for the the end set piece of a particular adventure, I, I set up the buildings to to um, represent the city that our heroes were running around in, and they unleashed this massive golden golem uh, on the city. So we had I had this huge sort of you know couple of foot tall Power Ranger bad guy figure that was chasing after these Games Workshop size miniatures throughout the city and it was stomping on the buildings and the citizens were were flying everywhere and and the kind of experience I don't think you you could get away with as an adult but as as a child uh, thrilling and and yes just stuck out and I think for me uh, Dungeons and Dragons I got into it when um, they started getting into podcasting I think I, I picked up earlier than Critical Role is obviously a big deal now uh, for the D&D community. But for me, it was, I, I don't know if you're aware of Acquisitions Incorporated. Um, uh, I've heard of them. I'm not all that familiar with them, though. It's a, a couple of, of web comic artists uh, got together to play um, D&D as a podcast. And, and um, I think before then, I had convinced myself it was a very complicated game. I liked my previous experiences were very low on rules. Uh, I thought that was the way to play, uh, and I realized that there's no reason that D&D couldn't be like that, and they've got such a rich history, and um, especially the current edition of the game, uh, I think it, they, they went the right way with it. They they, they removed a lot of um, a lot of the rules, and, and they made it a lot more uh, freeform, and I think that uh, is one of the reasons why it is so popular uh, at the moment, uh, and definitely I've embraced that and tried to play it as much as I can. Yeah, so uh, how how did this uh, newfound love for role-playing games, uh, or maybe not all that newfound, uh, spin into Crit-Faced? Um, so that, that's actually... Which is a wonderful name, by the way. I love Crit-Faced. Um, yes, we are very proud of it. Uh, <laughs> we do get called out on it a wee bit because we don't drink um, during the show. Um, <laughs> that's got a lot to do with the time zones and the fact that for some of us it might be uh, the evenings, but for many uh, of uh, the, the Americans, it's uh, midday, if not earlier. So um, 
wouldn't be appropriate. Maybe for the final episode of the current campaign, but uh, I'll talk to them about that. Um, there you go. It's it actually goes back to fighting fantasy again. It was um, it was the the second ever uh, self publishing fantasy blog off. Um, that's where a lot of the well, that's where all of the people involved uh, in uh, crit faced um, met each other. David uh, had actually been around for longer. He was one of the finalists in the first Spiffbow. Um, but Phil, Tim, Josiah and I um, just popped up during that. And, and you know, we, we talk about this a lot. And, um, I, I think there was something very special about that second iteration of the competition because certainly for for, uh, for me, a lot of the, the strong relationships that I have now in the fantasy community came about in that um, you know, swirl of, of uh, madness that was that first competition. And I do think a lot of the emerging talent in, in the fantasy community seems to have spawned from um, that particular iteration. I mean, the, I think the competition is fantastic and is a, is a gift to both readers and, and any um, indie writers out there. Um, but I think certainly, um, perhaps it was just because it was my, my first experience with it, but there, there was something special about that. Um, second year of the competition um, but Phil had just set up a new writing room and uh, we'd been chatting a little bit uh, just congratulating um, well, I was congratulating him obviously on, on his successes and I did notice on the shelves some old uh, dog-eared copies of the Fighting Fantasy books and we got talking about it and realised that he had a, a love of D&D as well and we joked about maybe getting some authors together to, to play a game. And then, because I can sometimes be a very literal person, um, you know, we eventually got in touch with the, a few other people and sprang the idea on them. Some people like David had played before. Um, Josiah and Tim had not, but obviously they don't live in a bubble, so they had heard of it. And because they're fantasy authors, they were very interested in exploring it. And we just got together, started rolling some dice, and it was a lot of fun. Um, we played a campaign that nobody will ever hear because we didn't record most of it. I mean, there was no, at, at the time, we, there was no intention. I know Tim did float the idea. She's obviously was well ahead of the curve. She did float the idea of, of, of letting other people listen to it but, um, at the very beginning. Uh, and we decided not to do that um, just for, for comfort reasons, especially as we, we got to grips with each other. At the time, we didn't, we didn't really know each other that well. We'd chatted a little bit on Twitter, but um, you know that was it. But, you know, nip forward a few years and I definitely feel I could call these guys uh, very close friends and um, you know look forward to hanging out with them every month um, hopefully other people enjoy coming along for the ride yes well I can speak as one of those people I do enjoy coming along for the ride I am oh. not caught up but I have enjoyed what I've listened to so far oh you need you need to catch up we've got big the next couple of weeks are going to be difficult weeks <laughs> <laughs> I'll, say, I'll say no more <laughs> Um, well, so uh, as a writer who is also a game master, uh, what types of differences do you notice with that? And what's the appeal of using a game structure to tell these stories? The lack of control. Uh, <laughs> the Yes, the, the total and utter lack of control over what these guys do uh, is, is, is actually part of the appeal. Um, and this is, this is not unique to me. It's uh, every... So when I run the game, for anyone who's not listened to, to Crit Faced, I am the dungeon master, and in Dungeons & Dragons, that means that you are the one who you know, introduces the setting, introduces the opponents or the other characters, and um, uh, the other guys, the other players, they control their characters, and they, you know, they move through the world. And never, never in a game, never ever has there been a game of Dungeons & Dragons where the characters, or the players do what you think they're going to do. Um, and uh, which is ridiculously frustrating uh, for uh, I mean I tend when I write uh, my novels I tend to plot them quite heavily beforehand so I know exactly what's going to happen um, and I have given up doing that when we play now because it's a waste of time and um, so they they will just go off and do their own thing there's a lot of reactive storytelling I know Vin Diesel has actually spoken about this before as well so uh, he he reckons part of his acting skills have come from this idea of just improvisation and, and thinking on your feet um, that's been encouraged because of his you know, his role playing experiences and honestly I, I can see that I you know uh, I do think there's a um, 
uh, you know, it definitely throws you out of your comfort zone um, when you're playing. It, they're not actually, we've started playing recently with, um, there's another group of, of, of writers um, started playing uh, a game which we're not recording or, or anything like that, but it's a, a slightly bigger group and it's the same. It's just madness. Uh, it's absolute madness, but I, I think there's something beautiful about it as well. Um, the fact that there's, there's this uncontrolled chaos that you can still take the whole off together, you know, all of you, because it's definitely a, a communal uh, effort and, and and push it together uh, into into a story that, that makes sense and, and is satisfying. Um, it doesn't always work. Uh, you, you, you have to have the right people for the job. Uh, and it doesn't need to be. I mean, uh, playing with, with writers uh, is a gift because uh, you know, they are, um, just have the natural mindset of making stories work. But um, I do think it's something that anyone can have a go at as long as there, there is this collaborative mindset behind it. Um, uh, I'm sure a lot of people who have played role-playing games before have uh, terrible experiences, uh, and a lot of that is because of self-sabotaging. Not yourself, perhaps, but maybe you, you might end up playing with somebody who delights in uh, throwing the the story off its wheels, basically, and that uh, you know that's that's just, just not a great experience. It's so much nicer when everyone's on the page and uh, the same page and, and trying to make the story work and make the, the the characters' actions make sense and what's come before and fit with the setting. Right. Yeah. The fun comes from the collaboration. Absolutely. Oh yes. Yeah. Uh, and definitely the unpredictability uh, comes from that as well. Um, and and I, as a dungeon master. Um, you have to try to roll with what your characters are, are saying. I think there are a few moments in Crit Face that I cringe at because I, I there are one or two moments when when listening back and and I, I pretty much just did say to somebody, no, no, that that can't happen. But that's that's not your job. Your job is to say, oh yes, and or oh yes, but you know, yes, you can fly, but look out for those <laughs> blood sucking monsters up there. Or you know, you you should never say, um, no, that's a bad idea. Let's try something else. Right. Well, that's probably about all the time we have uh thank you again benedict so much uh this has been such a pleasure oh thank you you know this has been wonderful i'm i i've not used to having somebody stick around for this length of time as i rabbit on so um uh, hopefully uh yes i'd love to obviously be able to come back and have a chat again maybe uh, well absolutely uh, you're welcome anytime um and and best of luck as well on the podcast i know it's uh, i gather you guys have a lot uh, in the bank already from 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 what i've picked up uh, from what i've listened to so far so i'm looking forward to to hearing um what comes next and that's our interview benedict patrick was a pleasure to talk to you can find benedict on twitter and instagram at benedict patty that's benedict p a d d y He's on Facebook as Benedict Patrick Books, and his website is benedictpatrick.com. If the Flight of the Dark Star Dragon sounds intriguing, I highly recommend you check it out. I just recently finished my own copy, and it was a ton of fun. And if you've already read it, maybe consider leaving the book a review. Every little bit helps. You can find us over at thefantasyinn.com, or on Twitter and Instagram at thefantasyinn. If you enjoyed this interview, maybe consider leaving us a review too. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss our future episodes. October is going to be an exciting month. We've got some killer guests coming on that I think you'll love. And on that note, who else should we interview? Shoot us a tweet, comment on the blog post, or include your suggestions inside that five-star review. We'd love to hear from you. That's all for this week. See you next time.